0: If you look at the global trends around the desire to decarbonize, decentralize, digitize, and just the changing shape of customer demand, we sort of coin it the the four Ds of change that are driving uh, innovation in the industry. This is the Electric Perspectives Global Circuit, where we
1: discuss the trends shaping our electric future. Here's
0: your host, EEI Vice
1: President for International Programs, Lawrence Jones. Today, we are excited to welcome Siegfried Kiefer to the Global Circuit. Siegfried is the President and CEO of Canadian Utilities, which is an ATCO company. Siegfried, welcome.
0: Thank you very much. Pleasure to be here with you today.
1: So, ATCO recently, in fact today, won the 2020 Edison Award for your work on the Alberta Power Line. Can you share a bit more about the project with our listeners, including your work with Indigenous communities? And I think more importantly, how your team innovated to overcome the challenges in the terrain.
0: Certainly, it'd be a pleasure. Um, Alberta Power Line is the the longest 500 kV line ever constructed in Canadian history and uh, represents, I think, a a terrific model for the world to look at in terms of developing linear infrastructure over vast uh, land distances. The, uh, the project, uh, in order to constitute it, was a, a fair bit of upfront work. It was a competitive transmission line project, so it was put out for tender. Um, we did extensive pre-work with all of the landowners and First Nations communities along the route. There were 27 indigenous First Nations uh, peoples who had uh, land and traditional land rights uh, over the terrain of the, of the route. Uh, over 3,000 meetings were held with individuals and stakeholders, and we pulled together a application for the line to go ahead that went forward without a single objection from any landowner or First Nations group or environmental group. And I think it, it exemplifies that with the right amount of pre-work that you can actually build these types of facilities and demonstrate benefit to all the stakeholders associated. Um, we were very pleased with the project it it established a a new standard for caribou protection the region where this line was built has is subject to a great deal of caribou migration and um, we work with the first nations people to come up with a uh, right-of-way clearing scheme that uh, protects the caribou as they wander across these rights-of-way from line of sight from their predators and so um uh A new standard was set for Canadian uh, transmission line facilities in wilderness regions because of the work done there. Uh, We're also very proud that we were able to utilize a lot of employment along the route from the First Nations communities. We contracted for over $85 million worth of work by First Nations contractors, staff that we trained up and utilized in, in, in the conducting of the construction of the work. And to wrap it all in a a nice little bowl, once the line was completed, we were able to sell 40% of the equity interest in the line to the First Nations along the route. And they're giving them an economic interest in this important piece of uh, infrastructure going forward. Now, the line, as you mentioned, does travel through some very uncharted sort of land masses in Canada. The particular challenge with this line is that it crosses through a lot of Muskeg. uh, Land, which is uh, really a, a formation of land that retains water and is very moist and unstable in the summer, and in fact is only really workable without great disruption in the winter when it's frozen. And so, the construction season was limited to about three months of the year over the two-year period to construct the line. And um, you know, a number of unique and innovative solutions were utilized, including um, pumping water onto the surface and building. I'm going to say land-based ice bridges to not disrupt the land as we work through it. We uh, came up with a, a unique kind of V guide tower design to minimize disruption on the land in terms of placing the towers there. And as I mentioned earlier, we we consulted heavily with First Nations to come up with a caribou protection plan that is now sort of set the standard in Canada for. Um, wildlife protection around these types of facilities.
1: That's uh, very interesting. I think one of the things that has fascinated me as I've looked at the project is the fact that across the world, building transmission is a big issue. And you seem to have done it in a way that allow you to not just build transmission, but then do what I would call kind of a community-based com- transmission where you got the community behind you, uh, which I am sure helped to accelerate the rights of ways and some of the other barriers you might run into when you come to building transmission more generally. But maybe moving on to this issue of transmission and clean energy. Uh, we At this energy conference, EI convention this week, there's been a lot of focus uh, on the clean energy transition and the importance of innovation for being able to achieve this uh, energy transition. And so can you talk a little bit of what ATCO is doing in terms of innovation, how it's been approached from your company uh, towards this cleaner energy future that we see in front of us?
0: Certainly. Uh, You know, I think uh, it's not news to anyone in the industry that we're, we're, embarking upon a degree of change in the electric industry that we've probably never seen before. If you look at the global trends around the desire to decarbonize, um, decentralize, digitize, and just the changing shape of customer demand, we sort of coin it the the four Ds of change that are driving uh, innovation in the industry. Uh, It's it's never been more important in our history uh, for industry to be well-versed and at the forefront of facilitating the change to more prosumer kind of technologies, more ability to permit um, remote generation, more ability to permit innovative forms of generation onto the grid, and manage the interchange of the electrons in a more complex interchange kind of kind of way. And so um, we're we're staying very well versed and at the forefront of a lot of the technologies with respect to that. We've. Uh, uh, instituted a lot of digitalization uh, in our company both from a sensory uh, data gathering perspective but also from an information uh, permitting information out to our field staff so they're aware of what's going on on the network and able to react to what's going on we are uh, we're working very hard towards the transition towards cleaner fuels and and hydrogen is one of the ones that i would make mention there We've, we were very early entrance in creating a Clean energy innovation hub in Australia, demonstrating the ability to uh, create green hydrogen from uh, photovoltaic energy uh, cells. Uh, and in fact, we operate our natural gas operation center completely off grid, where we we use our solar panels on the rooftops to generate the electricity during the day and to charge batteries and to. Um, through electrolysis create hydrogen and we burn the hydrogen at night and the battery storage to operate that center through the the dark hours when the solar panels are not creating any energy and so it's a complete loop off cycle off grid uh, energy solution using hydrogen as a non emitting fuel source to keep the electrons flowing uh, in Canada here we're we're um, we've got the first large scale hydrogen blending project underway in Fort Saskatchewan, just outside of Edmonton, where we'll be blending hydrogen into the natural gas stream um, up to 20% um, to reduce the emissions coming from the use of natural gas without having to impact the end-use appliances of our customers. Uh, in Australia, we're testing higher blending rates, but that requires you know, adjustments to the to the burner tip technology, if you will, in the appliances. And so trying to advance things on that front as well. So I think both on the cleaner fuel standards uh, and on the the adaptation of our electric grids to permit many of these newer technologies, um, it's a very exciting time to be in the industry.
1: Certainly. And and you mentioned Australia, and, and it brings me to something I've been very impressed about when it comes to Adco's, um your global footprint seems to be expanding. And, and I know recently you acquired uh, at least part ownership of the, uh, the utility in, in the Puerto Rico. So can you talk a little bit about the evolution of your business model uh, and, and some of your sort of uh, you know high-level strategy as you look at this global expansion of your business, understanding the challenges in different regulatory environments and also other geopolitical issues? How are you guys navigating this new world uh, from an ADCO perspective?
0: Certainly. Um, you know, from our perspective, we've always held at the forefront of our philosophy of bringing energy solutions to our customers, uh, a mantra around making sure that our solutions are reliable, sustainable, and affordable for our customers. And, and that has stood us in good stead no matter where we've gone in the world to, to venture into investing in the energy infrastructure uh, of those jurisdictions. The, um, you know, for us, every region represents kind of a unique circumstance in which to create the right solution. Australia has a tremendous solar resource that's uh, available year round um, and, and can provide a, a terrific supply curve that actually follows the load curve in many of its locations. In Canada, uh, solar doesn't do that for us here. And so the solutions in Canada are not the same as the ones in Australia. Uh, in Puerto Rico, again, a different circumstance, an island um, subject to many wild fluctuations in weather and storms and very many extreme situations, but does have the opportunity of solar and wind and battery as well as resilient grid solutions to augment uh, some level of cleaner fuel that we can bring to the island. So, Every, every region has presented kind of a unique circumstance uh, for us as we looked at it. We like to think that through that variety of regional exposures, we've, we've gained a resume of experience that is somewhat unique and allows us to be um, more ingenious, if you will, as we approach new situations. And so that's really the way we've approached our expansion globally, is to bring a wealth of experience to the local circumstance and then design the right solution for what we find there.
1: So, so you don't perhaps uh, I would call it Canadianize uh, the countries you travel to. You you keep it as local, but you bring the Canadian uh, knowledge and expertise, and then you adapt it to the the local conditions on the ground, which I think is a smart thing to do, uh, and, and certainly one that. Um, Uh, one should really uh, emulate as much as they can. Well, talking about local conditions, uh, let's move into what has really struck the industry over the last seven, eight months. I was actually in Australia about a, a month before COVID really struck the world. And today we are now seven months into it and we see the impact it has had uh, this pandemic across the globe. Can you talk a little bit about how has COVID affected ATCO's activities, both in terms of operations, because you're in multiple countries and regions, uh, but also coming back to the whole point of this conversation, innovation. Can you say a few words about how, how COVID has impacted your business and, and, and the opportunities to do, to be innovative uh, in the light of, of what's happening to the industry with regards to COVID?
0: I'd be pleased to. Uh, you know, I think uh, I might just start by saying our frontline workers in the industry, electricity and natural gas, really are a bit of the unsung heroes in this COVID health uh, crisis. Um, In in an era where we've had to revert to many isolated working techniques, um, keeping the energy infrastructure operating reliably has really been fundamental to uh, keeping our economies going. And so I, I would first applaud each of those frontline workers for continuing their efforts Despite the exposure that it puts them into in terms of exposure to this health crisis, um, from our side, you know, we like many other utilities had to adapt to um, isolation measures, distancing measures, precautionary measures relative to uh, provide continuing to provide in-home service and, and uh, restoring service to people's uh, energy infrastructure. Um, a couple of the innovative things that were undertaken by our company early in the crisis were uh, quite a unique application. Uh, we call it I See What You See, which is a, uh, just a convenient way for our telephone technicians to be able to see the circumstance or situation at the service point that the customer is calling from. Uh, simply by using their phone and camera on their phone, they can uh, give visual contact to our experts uh, without them having to be on site as to what the circumstance is or what the repair might require, and, and as such, we've been able to more effectively deploy our resources, and, and we'll continue to use that tool whether there's a COVID crisis or not because it's created some efficiencies in terms of making sure we bring the right equipment or parts or, or solution to the uh, problem uh, as people identify it to us. Um, we've we've also um, Uh, spent a lot of time in terms of improving the digital information available to our service personnel in the field. Uh, uh, The crisis has accelerated that in many regards for us, And, and so we've increased and doubled down our efforts in improving the digitalization of what we do and being able to increase the censoring equipment that we've got and the information available to our field personnel as they go about their duties.
1: Oh, you 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 talk about the impact of COVID, and the other thing facing our industry is the effect of climate change. Uh, it's certainly one we see today as we speak. We see what's happening in the, the Pacific Northwest in the U.S., uh, but we've also, in another region where you're active, uh, Australia, we saw what happened last year when it, as it relates to uh, to bushfires, and we see what's happening in other parts of the world, and so. In the context of climate change, but also innovation, what what do you see as the role of international collaboration um, for our industry, uh, uh, specifically as it relates to us being able to do something big and bold globally on climate, but also the innovations that are necessary to accelerate the energy transition? What role does international collaboration play and how do you think we can uh, improve upon uh, what we've done already in terms of collaboration?
0: Uh, i think that's a very good point i think the uh, you know this challenge is universal it's across the globe uh, and it will require some very smart thinking around how we transition from what has been a very static industry to one that needs to be much more dynamic much more front-footed much more adaptive if you will to change and whether that's uh, energy policy collaboration you know we have. Uh, um, very few energy systems or networks are completely isolated from their neighboring uh, jurisdictions and so we in canada have 10 provinces three territories uh, which have all been to date quite islanded if you will from their neighbors and that circumstance is changing quickly where where in order to accomplish our desires for cleaner energy we're going to rely on hydro resources that are available in our neighboring province um, We're going to rely on importation of cleaner fuels from other jurisdictions. And so I I would say that the need for energy policy collaboration is tremendously important if, if the planet is going to tackle this energy transition that's required. We can't forget that over a third of the world's population does not yet have access to the kind of energy that we have in the developed world. And and, um, so even just supplying energy into those regions is going to require policy cooperation. The second area I'd I'd highlight in terms of both sort of learnings and and collaboration is around regulatory uh, constructs and regulatory adjustments to permit or facilitate this kind of change from a very static monopoly sort of based system to one that will have many more participants, many more um, uh, distributed forms of energy coming into the network, uh, a greater need to ensure safety and reliability uh, in a much more intermittent and greener supply uh, source. And so regulators are going to need to be much more forward focused than historically focused. And and I think um, learn from each other as to the types of regulatory adjustments that uh, facilitate and permit the right kind of adjustments and those that inhibit uh, or, or hurt the changes that need to happen. And thirdly, I would just say that, you know, that innovation is one of those things that's not uh, um, proprietary to any one part of the world. And as, as innovative solutions occur, we need to have institutes like Edison where those can be shared and, and brought to industry so they can be adapted and, and applied Uh, wherever possible in order to facilitate this so those would be the three areas that i think cooperation would be very important
1: and and you um this wasn't the question i was going to ask you but as it goes with these interviews questions pop up when the question when answers are given you just said something that caught my interest and that is partnership i know that on the power line project you partner with quanta um, yes Uh, Do you see that as a trend going forward to have more of these kinds of industrial partnerships on some of these big mega projects?
0: Absolutely. And, and, you know, one of the uh, innovations we don't talk much about is that that project actually through very tough terrain and very constrained construction periods was constructed with an impeccable safety record and was completed and energized three months early in the process. And I think that really that was the result of a very tight coordination and cooperation between Quanta as both a partner and the constructor of the line with the owner and, and the owner engineering teams. And, and that kind of collaboration, I think, is what allows mega projects to get completed on a more cost effective basis, a more timely basis, and with a better outcome for all parties involved. We um, were also partnered with Quanta in the Puerto Rico contract where we'll we'll uh, sort of reconstruct the Puerto Rican electric system, transmission and distribution, to be more resilient, accommodate more renewables on the system, uh, and serve Puerto Ricans at a better price point than what they've seen in the past.
1: Well, we're coming to the end of this conversation, Sigrid, but I do want to ask you, based on the quote you said, I'm going to use that and attribute it to you going forward. You said you guys have the mantra, more or less, uh, I see what you see. And, and so now I'd like to see what you see looking out into the future and, and talking a little bit about what excites you most as you look into the future because you're seeing what I can see So So I'm kind of like trying to see what you're seeing now uh, and what concerns you the most? Uh, that's the first part of you seeing and I seeing. And then the last part, my last question regarding seeing about the future would be what do you envision? The energy system looking like in 2030 and 2050. So, both related to seeing, but more or less seeing into the future. So, maybe starting by as you look into the future, what excites you the most and what concerns you the most?
0: Well, um, certainly, uh, I think this is the most exciting time to be in the energy industry uh, that I've seen in my 40 years. I I wish I was uh, 25 years younger and and able to participate longer in what I think will be a very dynamic period of change and innovation coming to the industry. We, uh, We have the tremendous opportunity of continuing to drive tremendous standard of living, quality of life, and productivity through uh, the supply of cleaner, more reliable, uh, and more sustainable, uh, affordable energy to the planet. And and that's a very exciting thing to be engaged with and involved with, in my opinion. I don't know if I have have the true crystal ball or the true light in terms of what what will happen in the future, but uh, but I do believe that um, the energy space will will evolve and adapt to the aspirational goal of those trends that I identified to you, a, a decarbonization trend, a digitalization trend, a, a decentralization trend, and a an ability to meet customer demands in the way the customer wants to see them met. And so uh, rather than a one-size-fits-all, I think we will become a much more fluid industry in being able to meet different circumstances, different demands, in a, in a much more environmentally friendly and affordable fashion going forward. And to do that, I think we'll need the cooperation of governments in terms of good, sound energy policy. I think we'll need the cooperation of regulators in looking at constructs for regulation that will transition and permit the right kind of introduction of new technology and new entrance into the business. Um, and I think we'll need the, the collaboration of many industry segments, the front-end technology teams, the, the practical commercial teams, the, the product uh, innovators and, and developers of new generation forms and sources and capabilities, uh, and the delivery teams to uh, make this uh Happen in a way that doesn't cause great disruption or great unaffordability or pass on huge burdens of costs to future generations because of you know, deferral of current cost in the effort to get green before you can. So uh, it's an it's an exciting time, and I think the the energy grids of the future will be uh, um, we're up for the task. It'll take uh, a bit of wisdom, a bit of good experience, and, and a good of practical application of that. Across a number of the players to to get it done right.
1: Well, I think, see, first of all, thanks again uh, for for doing this podcast interview with us. Congratulations to Atco. I will close by saying that Thomas Edison is uh, known to have said, uh, um, "What you are will show up in, or who you are will show up in what you do." And clearly, who Atco is as a company is reflected in what you've done. And I think your Alberta power line project definitely has shown. Uh, what it means to be uh, a member of the community and serving the community uh, in all ways that uh, we think would make this world a sustainable place. So again, on behalf of EEI, congratulations to uh, Atco, and thank you so much, and have a wonderful day. Thank you.
0: Thank you for listening to this episode of the Electro Perspectives Global Circuit, an EEI International Programs podcast. For more episodes, subscribe to the Electric Perspectives podcast wherever you get your podcasts or visit EEI.org slash international.